Well, several months ago, we uh, began this uh, journey uh, in the letter of First Thessalonians from the Apostle Paul <clears throat> and uh, to these young believers that lived in this really important city uh, in Macedonia called Thessalonica. <clears throat> and so as Paul came into this city and he, he preached the word and he, he reasoned with them in the synagogues as he usually did, you may remember that he had to be kind of whisked out of the city um, uh, for his own protection uh, and for the, the, the enduring, if you will, of his ministry. And so he writes this letter to encourage this young church. But before he wrote this letter, he, he sent Timothy and, uh, to check in on these believers in Thessalonica. And so they came back to him with some questions. Now, we don't know exactly what the questions are, but we see in his letter, which is at least in part, a response to some of the things that they may have been wondering about this life. Like we've seen some of them in chapter four, what happens to believers when we die? And then what happens after that? And he addressed those questions in chapter four, uh, the end of chapter four, second half of chapter four and in chapter five. And so he's responding to their questions, but he's also encouraging them wholeheartedly. It is a, a, a strong message of thanksgiving and holiness and hope that he holds out for them in the midst of hardship. There is nothing about our walk as believers in Jesus that is anything less than difficult at times. We face hardship. We face hardship because we live in this world full of hardship that is affected by sin on every level. And it affects us. We face hardship because we wrestle with sin internally to the very core of who we are. In every aspect of our lives, we wrestle with difficulty because sin affects us. It doesn't mean that there's nothing good in us, but it means that every part of who we are is affected by sin. Theologians call this total depravity. I mean, it, it, it affects the totality of who we are. And so he writes to encourage these believers. You imagine just watching your children grow up into something that they're trying to learn. Maybe it's a sport. Maybe it's an activity. Maybe it's an instrument. Maybe it's learning to clean their room, whatever the case might be. But you see them putting forth the right kind of effort. And so he writes to encourage them. Now, he's not just encouraging them for, for themselves. He's saying, I... I am so thankful that you've received the word of God. How do I know? Because it's bearing fruit. We see the fruit of the work of the Holy Spirit in you. In fact, so much so because you, you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. People are talking about it. Words getting around that your lives are changing. Words getting around that you're increasingly learning to walk with Christ and, and to trust Christ. Oh, it's so wonderful. Keep going forward. He says in, in, in uh, chapter 1, do so, keep doing so more and more. That's really the thrust of this letter. Remember, we have to remind ourselves, this is not a, a father. This is not the picture of a father who is always displeased with his children that they can never get it right. This is a father who is 
so thankful for God's work in the lives of his children. And he wants to encourage them in it and encourage them to keep on keeping on. That's the tone. It'd be easy for us, especially maybe depending on how you grew up. You know, maybe you grew up and you just felt like you could never get it right. It just doesn't seem like anything I do is good enough for my dad or good enough for my mom or good enough for my coach. It's always more. Well, there's a difference between keep doing so more and more with a smile and encouragement than the furrowed brow. Well, if you would have just done fill in the blank. Because you know what? The expression, there's always going to be another thing. And so you know that. But you need to know, friend, brother, sister, that's not your heavenly father. Your heavenly father looks to you as a son, a daughter, that he is well pleased with. Because of his work in you, in Christ, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, boy. now keep going, because it's good for you. Keep going. It's good for you. And so everything in Scripture points us to this, uh, this need. Uh, what, I, what, I, what I should say, too, is all of the keep going and keep at it and keep your eyes on the prize, so to speak. I don't know if they had that exact expression then. It's all with an eye to eternity. You're, all, you're always identifying the next mark and you're running to that point. And you keep looking up the road, you run into that point. For us, we follow the, the pattern of Jesus who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus modeled it for us. He looked to eternity as a man, 100% man, 100% God, modeling for us and now enabling and empowering us to do the very same thing. Look to the prize. Look to the prize. Elsewhere, Paul said, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead. Right? We don't just look to the end and go, all right, Lord. Hit the escalator button. You know, I mean, the coolest thing about escalators is though you're getting moved along by motors and a, and a track, and I'm going to disappoint all the engineers in the room here, whatever moves you along, right, all the gears and all the things that keep you moving forward, right? it's like a big, massive metal rubber, rubber band, but it's not that, I know. So, but uh, you're on the escalator, and, uh, or the, uh, you know, the, uh, in an airport, the flat ones, right? You can walk down the hallway in an escalator. You can just stand there and be like, I don't have to exert any effort except stand up right now coolest part about it is walking on the escalator and you feel like you're sprinting down the hallway in the airport, right? I mean, everybody's walking. It's like, I don't know why you people aren't on this thing. Cause this, you know, right. And all these health conscious people walking along, just like, Oh, I don't need that thing to help me. I just want to tell you something. A picture of the Christian life is those flat escalators where the spirit of God and God through his power moves us along and we walk and we get there standing on resting in covered in his power. 
This is the picture, friend, of progressive sanctification. Paul talks about sanctification here with an eye toward eternity, and that matters. We're not just striving to to get her done. We're not just striving to work hard. We're striving for the upward prize of the call of God in Christ Jesus. Kind of butchered that paraphrase, but that's the idea. Because we're looking to the end and it affects our decision-making now. It affects how we choose to live now. In fact, I'll go so far as to say every decision that you make ought to be filtered through the lens of eternity. Every decision you and I make ought to be filtered through an eternal lens. Wow, this just affects me. Think again. Remember when I was in college, my sister uh, had a friend who uh, I didn't plan this illustration, so I'm thinking very carefully about what comes out of my mouth next. My sister had a friend. And I'm not going to use this illustration. It would be wisest. (laughs) I'm sorry. Got to do that, though. We make decisions at times when we think, oh, I'm going to do this now because this will set me up for what I want to do in the future. You know, maybe I'll be able to relate to people better. If I live this way now, right? That's a cop out. Maybe I'll be able to influence them with my life. The idea of missionary dating. I know God says not to date people who are not Christians or at least not to marry them, which means if I'm not going to marry them and they're not Christians, then I have one agenda in dating them either getting them to be a Christian or developing such a strong bond with them that it will feel natural just to break it off at some point. Because I know I'm not going to marry him because that's what God says. And I want to do what God says. Or to take a promotion that adversely affects my relationship with my family, for example. Now, all of these examples, right, in and of themselves, their decisions that you need to filter through your lens, the lens, God's lens of eternity and how it impacts you and your family and your neighbors and your church family, right? So this is not, uh, is it right or wrong to take a promotion? This is not that. It's, is the promotion the best thing for how God has called me to carry out the Great Commission is really what, what we're looking at. <clears throat> so with this focus on eternity, he closes this with this wonderful prayer uh, of encouragement, which with this prayer of encouragement, it focuses their mind and hearts and ours uh, on the one who actually accomplishes and completes the wonderful work of living at peace with God through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And again, you're going to notice there's a pointed focus on Christian relationships. So read with me, if you will, if you have your Bible open, that's wonderful. Um, we always want to encourage you that whether it's an open physical Bible, um, a little old school in that, but it's not more spiritual or less spiritual, just easier to see a bunch at a glance. But your phone, whatever you want to open. First Thessalonians five twenty three through 28. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. You're like, oh man, what's the application today? I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Friends, God is faithful to finish what he started. God is faithful to finish what he started. Let's take it a step further. Our God of peace is faithful to sanctify you wholly. Our God of peace is faithful himself to sanctify you wholly. Uh, not long in, in this book, the Apostle Paul prayed in this uh, great prayer in, in the end of, or in the middle of uh, chapter 3 and 4. I might actually have the wrong uh, reference on the screen. But he said, oh, he prayed that God may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In chapter 4, verses 3 and 7, he prayed, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Down a few verses to verse 7. For God has not called us to impurity, but he has called us in holiness. Sanctification is important. Sanctification is crucial because uh, to Paul because it's important to God. So much so that, that God gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life that comes by God's grace alone. It comes through faith alone in Christ alone. To be sanctified means to be set apart. It means to be holy, to be set apart from this evil world, to be made holy. Progressive sanctification uh, means to be increasingly set apart, increasingly made more holy. That's one of the three aspects of sanctification. So you might call it three phases of sanctification. You probably find strengths and weaknesses to however you want to word this. Uh, but the first, there's a, there's a f- fixed, or I call it positional sanctification. The legal word we use for it is justification, a legal term where the judge, God, looks at us and declares us righteous. And when a person repents of his or her sin and trusts in Christ alone, they are positionally sanctified. I'm going to get into that more in a minute. There's a second, which is an experiential. I hesitate to use that word because there's a lot in our world. It's all about the experience. But I just mean we experience what it's like to walk with Christ, to grow in Christ, to struggle in our walk with Christ. We experience this personally. We walk through it ourselves. This is what we also call progressive sanctification. It's it's a process. And third, there's a future. There's there's an ultimate or a final sanctification, uh, which we would refer to as our glorification. So we often say justification, sanctification, and glorification, but in one sense, it's, it's positional sanctification, progressive sanctification, and final or ultimate sanctification. So this positional or uh, fixed past sanctification 
it occurs, as I said a moment ago, the moment someone becomes a Christian, I love that uh, what the Apostle Paul says, speaking about this, there's a moment, there's a, there, there's a moment when the effect of Christ's perfect life and his sacrificial death as the perfect spotless lamb, the only one who could die to pay the penalty for everyone's sin is applied to you. It's applied to you. 1 Corinthians 6, 11, he says, and such were some of you. He's talking about these levels of, or not levels of, but descriptions of sin and idolatry and worldliness. And he says, such were some of you. In other words, that's not you anymore. You may wrestle with it, but it doesn't define you. Now you're defined in Christ. Such were some of you, but you were washed You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. And so this is something that happened in the past with an enduring forward and future impact. Now, there's a sense in some conversations at times with people where we talk about this, what theologians call the great exchange. And there's a challenge here in conversation because we like things to be neat and simple and in their box. Some of us do. The challenge is when someone is professing to be a Christian, but from the fruit we're able to see, it doesn't seem like anything looks like the life of a Christian. It doesn't seem even like there's much of a desire to strive in that. But there's great confidence that they put or that a parent puts on their baptism. Well, they were baptized. The challenge is, I don't know their heart. Parents think they know their heart. He's good. She's good. but we don't really know their heart. And the Bible tells us that there is to be fruit that accompanies a profession of faith. And that when there's not fruit, we're to help one another see that. My family likes to go to apple orchards and pick apples. And, you know, sometimes you all kind of, you get around a tree and, uh, and either you're lifting the kids up and you're reaching for it, right? Or you're in different perspectives. And somebody will be just ready to twist an apple off. And as they either start to twist or somebody else sees the other side, they go, wait, it's got spots. <laughs> we don't want this one. I'm not suggesting the same thing about people, by the way. What I'm saying is, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, sometimes you need it. We need another perspective to begin to kind of turn things around and say, "Oh, I see a spot." Aren't you thankful for Jesus? Now let's work on it. We can learn a great deal from someone's desire to work on it, or not. If there's no desire to work on it, and uh, Well, I got baptized. It's possible, possible that there wasn't a 
a genuine salvation that preceded that profession of faith. Possible. Because there was, would have been several years in Pastor Matt's life before, well, before I was a pastor, but probably even as a pastor at times, you might look at my life and go, you know, I don't see the fruit that we need to be seeing there. And God in his mercy brought me to repentance, validating my profession of faith, my salvation, that God had worked in me. And so I want to encourage you, if you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, I want to encourage you particularly to allow the Bible's description of spiritual fruit and us being, when I say fruit inspectors, just look at what we see. We're not trying to examine or Explain away someone's heart because we don't know. The Lord does. But examine the fruit. And in your care for people, in your desire to love people well, don't make excuses for them. If they're not walking in a way that's consistent with one who is being progressively sanctified because they've already been positionally sanctified or in a relationship with Christ, well, you need to have those conversations with them so that we don't unintentionally become people who enable others. Because there would be nothing worse than to enable someone with a desire to encourage someone, but never actually bring them face to face with the reality that they may have never trusted Christ. Maybe they followed someone. If you grew up in a church, people went down the aisle. Maybe they followed someone. Maybe what the pastor said connected with them, and they had a response Maybe the response outweighed or ran ahead of what was going on in their heart. They didn't count the cost and understand repentance. Maybe they uh, unfortunately didn't hear a clear gospel presentation. Uh, maybe they didn't. I don't mean you have to know everything about the gospel to be saved. I just mean there are all kinds of things that could be playing into it. Right? The gospel is not Jesus plus. We're not looking for a helper in Jesus. We're looking to someone who transforms us, who undoes us, who brings us from death to life. And when we're brought to life, we walk it out. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made the one who made Christ, who did not know sin, Jesus, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is God's gift righteousness, as some would describe it. What you and I could never, never accomplish on our own, God gifts to those who believe. And one of the most challenging aspects of that is to say, God help them to believe. Enable them to believe. And it can be a fruitless proposition to try to talk someone into believing. That doesn't mean we don't engage. It doesn't mean we don't try to persuade. But there comes a point when it becomes clear that they do not believe God. And we beg God to rend the heavens. Open their eyes. When the Apostle Paul was saved... And this is not what happens to everyone, obviously. It was a different circumstance or situation, but the Acts tells us something like scales fell from his eyes. And he saw and he believed. God 
Would you open their eyes to their sin and their need for a Savior and who you are as a Savior? And would you bring them to belief? I'm convinced that far too many people have enough knowledge to say the right things, to sound like they believe, but it doesn't match up with what's going on in their lives. And so this is this challenge on if someone is positionally sanctified, which means that they should be working toward uh, down the path of uh, progressive sanctifications. And so the Apostle Paul highlights the day of the Lord and looking to the end and all of these things really, really matter. We're called to live with the end in mind so that we're awake and living in the light, which is a call to progressive sanctification. The reason I spent so much time on the... (laughs) The first part of my introduction was um, because generally as a people who want to believe the best about other people, we will run toward the fact that they're nice and they're kind. I don't see anything horrible in them, so they must be a Christian. And then we wonder why their progressive sanctification is not lining up with their positional sanctification that they're saying, their profession of faith. And that's a struggle. Now, even at that point, we, we must be careful not to rush to judgment because we don't know their hearts. We don't know what the Lord's going to lead them to and through, either to bring them a repentance for the first time or to draw them back to him. As I said, a significant part of my testimony in high school was the Lord's discipline in my life because I was his child. But I was miserable. But I knew how to turn it on. And act like I wasn't. Progressive sanctification is, is what we experience by putting forth this effort. It's the idea of being on those flat escalators and walking on it. We're carried along by the grace of God. We're carried along by the strength of God. And we're also walking and putting forth our own effort. We're cooperating with the Holy Spirit in our salvation or in our, in our, in our, uh, in our growth in Christ is actually what I meant to say putting forth faith-filled obedience. And ultimately, this leads to what we're looking toward, which is our perfect or our ultimate sanctification. Now, I'm going to repeat the word sanctification, uh, hope, about 150 times today. Uh, some of you may be familiar with the word, but I want, you, I want it to become a con- commonplace term for you. Sanctification means being set apart unto the Lord. It means being made more holy, which also means being set apart unto the Lord. This should become part of our regular vernacular, the the way we speak every day, right? So this is where we see that our God of peace is able to sanctify you wholly or completely. It's what we look forward to. It's what our brother David Lubbock is experiencing, his final sanctification. And while we grieve and we meet together this afternoon to remember his life, April, he's home. He's with the Lord. He's not struggling with pain. He's not struggling with sin. Carter is with Jesus. Carter, it's good to see you. You look sharp. Thank you for serving. David's home. And we look forward to the day that the Lord's going to take us home. But until that day, we, we press on. 
We got to keep pressing on. And it feels like tough mud and, and it feels like you're stuck and you're dragging your feet out of the mud to the next step sometimes. Now, sometimes it's joyful, you know, and we're just, we're running along. Most of the times it requires difficulty and we exert effort that is in partnership with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians, uh, so that in the coming ages, God might show the immeasurable riches of grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ, which flows from the rich, rich mercy of God. Right. In other words, because of what God did in the past that has a anchored, permanent, enduring effect. We now live some good moments, some hard moments, some holy moments, some sinful moments, some really sinful moments, repentance and grace and restoration of joy and growth in Christ. And we keep pressing on until the day God calls us home or he returns for his church. And then we look forward down into the future to the day that we know because God is faithful because God never backed down on his word because he cannot. I prayed it at the beginning. God, God is faithful. He doesn't just act in faithfulness. He is faithful. He cannot be anything other than faithful. And so we look forward to the day. I mean, we bank our confidence and our hope on the day when the church will be presented to her bridegroom. Blameless spotless, holy. First John 3, 2 and 3 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself as he is pure. God is the source of our complete sanctification. That's what he's getting at in verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May the God of peace himself. That's an emphasis. That's a way of saying, uh, I myself will drive you to the store instead of, hey, I'll take you to the store. No, I myself will do it. It's a way of emphasizing. I'm not just going to call someone and get you to the store. I'm going to take you. My, I'm going to get it done. God is the source of our complete sanctification from beginning to end. Colossians 1.20 says that he reconciled us to him making peace by the blood of his, Christ, uh, of his cross. He's the one who begins, who sustains and completes his work of making us holy. Theologian F.F. F. Bruce writes it like this. He says that the sum total of gospel blessings can be expressed by peace. We were enemies of God. And God, by sending his son, made us through faith, which is by grace, made us his friends. As we believe and we walk in faith, we become friends of God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But we were his enemies. Well, I'm not really like his enemy. I just really don't want to, I just don't really agree with, I think there's just a lot of ways to get there as long as you're sincere. Well, then maybe you're a kinder enemy in disguise. 
but you're an enemy of God. But look at what God's held out for you. Believe. God is, he doesn't just give us peace. He's the source of peace. He's the source of vertical peace. He's the source of horizontal peace. We will never find peace, friends, through the government. We will never find peace, friends, through nations and treaties striving to get along. It will never happen. It will never happen. To pray for peace is to pray that people would look to God and trust in God and find peace with Him so they can find peace with one another. It's the only way to find true, godly peace. So this is our our complete sanctification. The idea is that he will sanctify us through and through. He sort of begins to stack up these descriptions, right? That he will sanctify you completely, your whole soul and spirit and body. Now, this is a way of describing the entirety of a person, right? Some some have, have, have taken this and tried to say that this means that they're there's a difference between the soul and the spirit. Uh, not in every circle, but in some circles, it would be the sense that one is the part of us that is affected by sin and the spirit is the part where the Lord Jesus lives in us when we trust in him and that there's this small division, even going to uh, uh, Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to div- division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It's a metaphor. It's an expression. It's hyperbole. Mary, when when Mary went and and she was pregnant with Jesus and she went and she saw her cousin Elizabeth, you remember she went to him and John uh, the John the Baptist leaped in Elizabeth's womb. And I imagine these two ladies. I'm going to say giddy. I mean, I don't know so, something like that. Sorry, ladies, if that's not a word you like, but probably giddy, excited. What in the world is going on? This is incredible. And what does Mary say? Oh, my soul rejoices in God. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She wasn't saying this part of me rejoices like this and this other part of me rejoices like that. She's saying all of who I am rejoices in God, my Savior. I magnify the Lord with my whole being. And so we see throughout Scripture these soul and spirit, uh, the heart, the will, the mind, the affections, different ways of describing uh, a sort of a dualistic whole or a dualistic unity of who we are, which is really the inner man and the outer man, the soul or spirit and the body. That's who we are as people. That's how God has made us. That's how God has wired us to be. And what he's saying is, may God sanctify you holy soul, spirit, body, all of you be sanctified. And we are preserved by our God who is faithful it's paired with this other phrase, be kept blameless. Look at it here. He says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This aspect of our sanctification is the idea of being kept, being preserved as those who will be as individuals, but more importantly, as the bride of Christ presented to our bridegroom with holiness, blamelessly. 
Uh, Pastor and teacher John MacArthur points out, without blame, this word was in the day of the Thessalonians was uh, people wanted to identify a deceased friend. And so they would write this word on their tomb, blameless, to identify them as one who's the Lord's. They're blameless. Every one of us in this room knows we're not blameless because of our own effort. We don't remain blameless because of our own effort. We, we are made blameless by Christ. We are transformed from darkness into light. We are kept by the grace of God through the means that he gives us, which is the word of God, the spirit of God, body of Christ, to name a few. So God gives us the means. Now, if someone gives you the ability to do something and then you're able to carry it out, it would be impossible without the one who gave you the means. Brian McLean and I were, I don't think I want to share this story today, but uh, so we have some doors. Uh, it's not a, I keep calling them doors, but they're walls in the uh, classrooms over there, kind of their dividers. <clears throat> and um, so we had similar ones at my church in New Jersey. They looked, they had a different pattern, but same kind of door, obviously not the same kind of door as you'll find out in a minute, but they looked very similar, similar, and they worked entirely differently. And so for the last six years of my time being here at Oak Grove, uh, I think I was told early on that these, these divider walls don't work because there's something wrong with the mechanism on one of the doors. And I was like, oh, they mustn't all work. So usually I just kind of like line them up if we need to divide the wall. And, uh, and, and so we were doing that this morning. I was like, yeah, I told Brian, I was like, they don't work. Uh, and he's like, I mean, well, what if we just grab this tool and do this on the end of the section? I was like, hold up. In New Jersey, the kind of door that we had meant that we had to line them all up, get them kind of just locked in place, interlinked. And then on the end door, or I keep calling it a door, partition, we would crank the thing, which would cause a chain reaction to the next one, which would cause a chain reaction to the next one, and it would press down to the floor and hold it in place. Well, these look the same, but they do not operate the same. And so Brian educated me this morning. I think he was very humble about it. He was very gracious about it, although there may have been a just a, but even that, a slight little... Right, this isn't Jersey. Midwest, nice going on out here. Iowa, nice going on. Right? Uh, I don't even know why I was telling you that story now. Lord, was it important? I guess we'll find out in a few minutes. God is faithful and he will do it. If I wouldn't have had the resources to be able to, the key, so to speak, the bar to turn that, a half a turn. And if I wouldn't have had a friend to come alongside of me to say, um, hey, you more. Oh, no, wait, wait, he didn't say that. <laughs> I think this might be how it works. I was like, no, we had some like this in New Jersey. Man, I pushed back against him. At the end of the day, Brian got one of them, two of them done, I think, and then I was able to lock the third one in place. I was able to 
balk out the completion of getting that divider going, but only because someone gave me the tool. And so if I were to think for a moment, I got it done, I'd be sorely mistaken. We don't get anything done on our own effort. We don't get anything done by our own resource. We don't get anything done by our own strength. You, you obey when you believe that God's word and God's wisdom is good and right and best for you. And because of all that he's done for you, you walk in faith for God's future grace to empower you to take the next step. Each and every step of your walk in Christ is empowered by what God, by what God has done for you to enable you to take the step that you are taking now. That is all God. And we cooperate. But without God in any of this part of the equation, we don't get it done. We don't get it done. And so he prays. Oh, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole soul, spirit, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this next verse. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Is there anything in this that you're reading that says something like, you've got to get it done? Now, that doesn't mean there's not a call to obedience. He's already done that all throughout the letter. You've done well. I can see God's spirit at work in you. I'm so thankful for what God has done in you. Now, keep on going. As he empowers you, as he enables you, take the next step of faith. Two twelve in this same letter, we exhorted each one of you and we encouraged you, charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Second uh, Timothy one nine, Second Peter one three. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. That means understanding it and putting it into a practice. It goes from head knowledge to experiential knowledge as we walk in faith through the knowledge of Him who called us into His own glory and excellence. God gives us the resource and the strength. My second point is much shorter, but punctuated. God uses mutual commitment to one another as part of his means to sustain us. God uses our mutual commitment to one another. Now, I kind of like wish we were in a, European football game right now and everybody heard that and stood up and was like yeah let's go charge the hill let's do it together and some of you are some prefer to say ah you know I'll come here on Sunday I'm gonna do the rest on my own I just want you to know you're missing out you're missing out This point of application, it, it might be that you've got a fear that you really aren't sure how people will handle if you let them know who you really are. Well, I just want to tell you, we're going to mess it up. But we're going to try to love you well. Because if I tell you, we're going to knock it out of the park with you. It's a temptation that you might actually trust in us rather than in the Lord. 
you know, in our small group environments, I mean, this is small groups all, all across, uh, you know, the globe, probably there's this sense of the conversation in which we say, now there's a, there's a, in this small group environment, we're going to share and what's shared here stays here. And there's just utmost confidentiality and the heart behind that is good. But I've seen people say, oh, I don't know if I'm enjoying that group because I don't know what they're going to do with what I tell them. That's not entirely wrong thought. My question is just, well, are you willing to trust the Lord if they gossip about you? I mean, how much do you want it? Do you want to grow to be more like Jesus? God's method for us is to be in committed, accountable, vulnerable relationships with one another in our home setting as teenagers and adults learning what this looks like to grow together in Christ. Now, it might look like a, a community group. It might look like a men's study. It might look like a ladies' study. But each one ought to be going after these things. He closes, brothers, pray for us. Right? I'm praying for you. I'm praying that God will do this in you. Pray also for us. Do you see the mutuality there? We need God to work. And we need you to pray because prayer is the means that God has chosen to work his will. Why? We have no idea his ways are higher than our ways. In short, prayer aligns us to the heart of God. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. You spend lots of time uh, talking about what that actually means and what's going on. In short, what's the expression of affection that these Christian brothers gave? In their day, it was a kiss. For us, it's a good hearty handshake and maybe a hug if you're a hugger. If you're a hugger and other people aren't huggers, give them a little space. Quick hug and back away, you know. Somebody's like, I love hugging. You're going to love hugging by the end of this hug. You're like, I don't think so. Mutual affection and love in how we love and greet and welcome one another. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. I'd love, I thought about like, maybe what I'll do is I'll write a letter, a short letter to somebody in the church. And uh, I'll say, I put you under oath to have this read on Sunday morning. I don't have Paul's authority, so I don't plan on doing that. That's okay. God's word matters to get it to all the brothers and sisters. I believe he's putting us under oath to do our part to get God's word to God's people, to help them know it, to help them understand it, to help them apply it, to help them live it out. And to do as much as we can to get God's word, God's message of grace to those who don't know them as Savior, him as Savior. And then he closes, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Our Christian relationships, friends, they need to involve mutual prayer, mutual brotherly affection and love, mutual submission in God's word. The takeaway is that our God of peace, who brought you into peace with him and with others, is faithful. He's faithful to sanctify you holy.
two directional suggestions. Rest your confidence in his faithfulness and take whatever next step you need to in your responsibility and your progressive sanctification. Take that step on that level escalator and grow in Christ.